1: Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Let's
2: get ready to rumble. It's nation show today.
3: Yo yo, what is up everybody? Happy Monday. You know what that means. The stock market is back open. Of course, uh, you could have been trading over the weekend if you were trading, you know, crypto, right, Spencer?
4: or futures
3: futures crypto there's some things you can trade over the weekend but yeah. i try to stick to crypto on the weekends i don't like i you know i i caught some of a ninja trader earlier talking about futures i need to get more into that um well i don't know if i need to but i i if i want to i need i need to learn some more about it but crypto <laughs> is always fun to just scalp over the weekend um right, tell, us, tell us
4: what you scalped over the weekend in crypto Here, here's a heat nap of today
3: I actually sold some of my Ethereum. You know, I, <gasps> whoa, I, whoa,
4: whoa, wait! You are not allowed. I thought selling is definitely against the rules. No,
3: actually, that's a common misconception. As a crypto trader, you are more than welcome to not just buy, but you know, sell as well. So, I I had some w- with earnings this week in a lot of big companies. I just wanted to free up some cash in my Robinhood so that I can trade um some of these earnings plays and uh yeah ethereum had been ripping i was up nicely on my ethereum trade so i was just freeing up some cash it wasn't anything like oh i think ethereum's gonna okay. drop from here i just was up in the green and, and and sold some but look at ab
4: doing some asset allocation ab yeah i know it's
3: not what we're used to I, i've
4: actually never sold crypto a, a cryptocurrency i've only ever bought when it when when i was going through my uh my my my, my taxes and stuff right uh, uh back uh, for, for tax season, uh there was a section on there for cryptocurrency and I was like, I never sold! Unrealized Gains! Next! And, and I just kept on going because I've never actually sold a crypto before. I've only ever bought. So anyway, Bitcoin in the green today, AB. Uh, I have a hunch this has to do with the Bitcoin ETF that is supposed to open tomorrow. The Bitcoin Futures ETF from ProShares. Um... We got word of that sort of mid to late last week. So, so uh, that's going to happen this week, which is exciting, which is fun. And um, the rest of this doesn't jump out to me. Dogecoin actually being up nine, almost 9% does jump out. That's interesting.
3: Uh, Patrick Starr is asking a good question in the chat. Did, did Neil join squid game? He's He's been gone for a while. So uh, <laughs> we, 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 to preview the show. So here in a minute, we're going to bring on Ed Lavery, the, uh, Director of Investor Intelligence at Similar Web. So Similar curates um, data from a bunch of different websites and companies. And what's really interesting is that not only for us at Benzinga, we can use this data, you know, for our company to dissect our traffic, et cetera, but for investors, we can use um, th- this is in the realm of alternative data that investors can use to try to gauge, you know, how strong a company looks or appears. Um, so we're going to have Ed on to, to talk about Netflix, who reports earnings tomorrow afternoon after market. Um, let us know in the chat, have you guys watched or seen Squid Game yet? Um, drop a one if you have, drop a two if you haven't. Spencer, have you checked out yet?
4: No, you know what? I, I've been stuck in the COVID quarantine for two weeks now. and That somehow, seems like the
3: perfect time to, to watch some
4: Squid Game. You know what? You would think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> And yet, I have not yet watched Squid Game, um, so so I need to get up on the culture, clearly. But uh, before we transition all the way out into that and out of crypto, I just want to remind everyone that you can get $50 in Bitcoin for free, F-R-E-E, that spells free. All you have to do is got, download the Voyager app, use the offer code ZING, Z-I-N-G, fund your account with $100, make your first trade. And they will give you fifty dollars for free using that code. Um, so I've not seen Squid Game. I know Netflix came out with a number. They said Squid Game was going to account for about nine hundred million dollars. Um, in I forget it, it was some. It's there's it like a made up metric, right? That they came up. Maybe Ed knows more about this, so we could talk about it with Ed. Uh, but it's it's basically the the metric that Netflix came up with to like derive value of their shows. And they said it Squid Game is going to be worth to them not about nine hundred million dollars between the show and the merchandise and the search and the search engine searches and all this stuff. So uh, on that note, Ed probably knows more about this. So okay, let's let's bring on Ed from similar web.
3: All right, all right, Ed, Ed, how we doing?
5: How we doing on this beautiful Monday? Fantastic! Great to be on the show again.
4: Have you yeah. seen Squid Game?
5: I have. I actually just finished the series last night. So it's oh. very, very good. Uh, and I'm okay. glad I finished it, but it was, uh, okay. it's hard work getting through. On okay. The edge, on the edge of your seat.
4: Is, is Squid Game going to be worth $900 million to Netflix? Uh,
5: that exact number, I can't actually ascribe t- to it, but I can No definitely... one can. That's the catch. I know, I know. Well, they've got to put a value somehow, right? Uh, so, yes. um, uh, no, but we definitely have seen, uh, an uptick in the number of subscribers, uh, coming really? through a Netflix. Uh, it's a good game as well.
4: All right. So in all seriousness here, sorry, A.B., in all seriousness, we have Netflix earnings tomorrow. So it would behoove us to get a sense for what your data is saying of Netflix heading into this report from last quarter. Sure. Yeah. Sure.
5: So I think maybe it would just be worthwhile just kind of giving a bit of background on our data, yeah. first of all, before we kind of dive into Netflix. So at SimilarWeb, we provide web traffic estimation data uh, for virtually every single website in the world. So not only can we track the number of people who are visiting a website, uh, we have estimates of, of how many people are visiting particular pages on a website. So one of the things that we can actually see with our data uh, or estimate with our data is the number of people who are visiting a sign up page on Netflix. So the number of new subscribers and also the number of people who visit the cancellation page on netflix.com and therefore cancelling uh, the contract. So we can get a proxy of actually net ads um, on um, Netflix, not only in the US, but in 50 other countries. So we can get a global view on subscriber growth in pretty much near real time. Uh, We have a one day lag or one or two day lag. So we, have an early read into the direction of uh, Netflix's performance um, overall. So um, I guess like with that in mind, what have we been seeing uh, with with this data? So um, look, I think one of the key things that we've actually seen is that from September when Squid Game has uh, was launched, we saw actually a very big growth in the number of new subscribers, uh, particularly in uh, EMEA, so Europe and APAC, so Asia as well. Um, so the, really the first half of the year for Netflix was, as you guys well know, uh, very difficult to produce content uh, as everyone was stuck at home, particularly where I was in the beginning of the year, which is in Europe, uh, less so over here in America. Um, but yeah, so there has been really a deficit in production of content in the past, uh, Well. Last year, in particular, um, and what we're actually now beginning to see with some of these big hits like Squid Game, uh, also Seinfeld coming on, that the rate of cancellations is slowing down somewhat. Um, and actually, on a global level, signups are increasing, um, and that has been accelerated in the last month.
3: So, so Ed, I we do have the uh, you know, data uh presentation up here on the screen. So, something I'm curious about is how. Because I imagine that that similar web in the investor intelligence department, um, you guys aren't going out and curating this data and making a presentation for every single company that has earnings. Um, so how, how is that decision made to go ahead and go out and curate this data specifically for Netflix?
5: So, well, first of all, uh, we know Netflix is one of our kind of a hit stocks with investors as well. Uh, the key bit of data that we have on Netflix is their international sign-up data, in- international sign-up and cancellation data. Uh, that data isn't really available in many other places. Um, I think the other kind of key part of the quality of our data for Netflix is that, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually only cancel a Netflix subscription by going on the website for Netflix. You can't actually cancel it on an app or a television. You can sign up for Netflix on an app or on television, but you can only cancel it on a desktop site.
4: I did not but know actually, that. Wait, I did not know that. The AB, did that, you know that? It,
5: I
3: know, but I, there, I think there are other websites like that, that if you want to cancel, you know, your thing, you have to go to the web. I, I've, I've had that happen before where I try to cancel something in an app and then they're like, you got to go to this website. So it makes sense. But no, that, that, that is good intel um, because, Ed, okay. at, 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 as you said, I mean, then you have a, a really good gauge of how many people are visiting this cancellation page um, versus maybe not being able to see how many people are signing up through the app.
5: A hundred percent. So it, we've got some very good visibility on this as well. Um, and the, the other key thing that we, we have noted on Netflix as well. So we actually did a, um, a report with Business Insider about a year or so ago on Netflix. Uh, maybe a bit longer than a year ago. It might have been about 18 months ago before the pandemic. Um, we spotted prematurely a slowdown in international signups. Um, basically, when we went live with the article, uh, it actually impacted the share price of Netflix. So the share price went down 2%. So we actually know Netflix uh, is quite heavily traded based on our data. So The stock price of Netflix does move on our data.
3: Um, and, and then so, Ed, I mean, something interesting, too, that I, I want to ask about is kind of we use, obviously, as investors, we use a lot of data to try to help us make decisions. Um, but a lot, a lot of times that data is, you know, kind of lag, they're lagging indicators. We're looking at stuff um, in the past. Would you say this is this form of alternative data is something that can be kind of a leading indicator? Uh,
5: yes, I, I would. Yes, and no, in a certain sense. I mean, it is a leading indicator in the sense that you're getting a read before financial reports are reported, but financial reports are reported after the quarter, right? So everything that's really had, like everything that's really happening Q three, has happened. And we've been tracking that data, as I said, pretty much in real time. So with the whole quarter before the financial results are actually published, we have the full quarters data. So I guess in more traditional terms, you could call that a leading indicator, but actually in the terms of the data industry, it's data industry, it's, it's data that's already happened, uh, essentially. So it's uh, there's a term I don't know if you've heard used before called now casting. So it's basically getting visibility into businesses in the actual present as well. I guess some of the leading indicator metrics that we do have on top of this, that you could understand that kind of forward performance would be things like engagement. So can you actually see things like engagement on Netflix improving, which is one of the things that we have been doing, and you can use engagement as a proxy to understand the likelihood of someone being canceling or potentially new people um, signing up as well.
4: So, Ed, um, you know, if we can think back to Netflix the last couple of times around last quarter, well, maybe two quarters ago, they had that really big miss on their subscribers, right? They, they missed massively last quarter. They saw a big decline, but the decline was actually like not as bad as it's all about expectations. Right. And the decline was not as bad, even though it was a decline. So um. What, what are the what are the tea leaves? What is your data telling you about what Netflix might say tomorrow with regards to the prior quarter about, about their subscriber growth? Are we in line to to you know coming well above the, the number below the number?
5: so i don't want to make a call on whether it's going to be a beat or miss uh purely because we are a data provider and we're not providing any kind of financial advice and uh, it'll be wrong of us to come up with a an indicator that would say there is a beat or miss what our data is showing um, is those inflection points as well so what our data is suggesting is that subscribers are increasing cancellations are relatively flat it's looking positive for netflix i can not i wouldn't want to put a number on how positive uh it is for netflix
4: and, and again uh, just just to be clear um, yeah. you're saying not in the mo- not in the now this is the last quarter right exactly exactly okay. Okay. so this- the, the
5: data is looking good uh i mean look this would also be a big flag if subscribers were decreasing and netflix were saying to the market uh if our estimation on subscribers is decreasing and Netflix was saying to the market, Subscribe, there's going to be subscriber growth. This will be an right. early indicator. The opposite is right. happening. So right. I guess the way to read this is that it's looking positive. This can provide more confidence in understanding the direction of what Netflix is going to be in performance history.
4: they'll probably talk about Squid Game tomorrow, but Squid Game is wholly irrelevant to the numbers from the last quarter. Um What I'm just curious about, uh, Ed, regards to the U.S. versus international. For years, for the last like three or four years, Netflix has been trying to convince the market, like, hey, forget the U.S., look over here, look over here, international growth, international growth. So. Do, uh, I see the, the the chart up on the screen there, the international quarterly net ads there on the right, and it's the same thing as far as the U.S. is concerned, where it's skewing positive. So the
5: U.S. is relatively flat. Okay, uh, from our data, dipping a little bit, not neg- uh, relatively negligible. Uh, I mean, look, I'd say in the US, Netflix is pretty saturated as a market and there's a big opportunity internationally. I think uh, one of Netflix's key strategies is to start producing international content, which I think Squid Game is a perfect example of this. There's been a few other uh, shows this year which have just uh, evaded uh, my mind for the second. Um, But I think it, it is the growth area international. It is where we are actually seeing strong movement as well. And they are definitely performing in that. So, so
3: Ed, we, we've we got the um, data pulled up on the screen. I mean, I, I want to just kind of give the floor to you, see if there's anything in this report that, you know, we haven't touched on yet that you think is particularly interesting. Um, you know, I I have my own kind of – because I could see it both ways, right? I could see Netflix saying, um, you, you know, we expect – where they're giving guidance for futures saying, this is a great stepping stone we're going to be able to use – um, squid game and these other international shows to to uh, further our foothold in the international market or they could also say you know we can't expect a squid game like uh success every single quarter you know so i'm more curious about um the guidance which of course you know it, it's hard to gonna hard to predict the guidance with data but is there anything else in this report um that you think is particularly interesting for investors
5: so i would say the the real growth, uh, I think to your point, is that it, as a result of Squid Game only really happened in September. Uh, and I think as you pointed out earlier, that, like, a lot of that impact might not be really shown fully in the numbers for q 3. I think a lot of the positive impact for these big shows, particularly if they're gonna be releasing them, probably is better at the beginning of a quarter so that number can trickle up like throughout the quarter uh, and be reported in the end. So I think that's something also to watch out for uh going further forward that these big hit shows if released towards the end of the quarter might not actually have the full impact until the subsequent quarter which i think is what we're probably going to see with squid game here
3: yeah i mean one, one thing that i think is so fascinating about the squid game and how popular it's been in the numbers is it's beating out all these series like tiger king uh queen's gambit bridgerton that came out kind of in the in the midst of covid when everyone really had nothing to do besides sit at home and watch Netflix. And now, you know, we're more reopened, things are going on, and the numbers still crushed all those previous shows.
5: Well, I I guess the thing is, when everyone's now out and about, you talk to people as well a lot more. So I, I, I definitely know, like, I might have been watching these shows at home last year, but I wasn't really speaking to many people. And, like, now you go out, you meet your friends, you go out in the office as well, everyone's talking about the same thing. So you just hear about things a lot more as well.
3: Yeah, we've definitely been having some conversations in the office about Squid Game and the people that haven't seen it, maybe they don't have a Netflix account, um, you know, feel left out of those conversations and they want to go home and, and sign up and, and watch it. So uh, I, we definitely see that phenomenon. But
4: wait, I, I have one last question, Fred, um, and it's not pertaining to last quarter at all. But, um, you know, Netflix has been in the news for a lot of reasons, one of them being, uh comments made by uh dave chappelle which has gotten some criticism i'm I'm, this is not the first time nor will i'm sure will it be the last time that someone on someone on netflix says something that upsets people i'm wondering if in the past if you've seen if, if there's a correlation necessarily between like headlines or and like anger on the internet versus like does that show up in your data at all or not really Yes. Uh,
5: so about a year ago, if you remember, there was that French show on Netflix. I can't remember the name of that French Cuties. show. Cuties. Cuties. Uh, that was the, the name of the show. It was Cuties. Okay. And yes, 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 yes. Very with much your... flagged.
4: Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm with you.
5: Yeah. So it was very much flagged for being, I guess, materially inappropriate in how they kind of uh, showcased, uh, uh, I guess, young girls. Um, we did, And there was a hashtag, which was like cancel Netflix or something yeah. like that. So uh, we did actually see a spike in cancellations uh, for Netflix then. However, it really was not material. It lasted a couple of days, the spike, but had no real material impact on the overall
4: numbers for Netflix. That's what I thought. That's-
3: I, I remember people thinking like, oh, I'm going to buy puts on Netflix. This is going to cause a bunch of people to go out and cancel and the stock to crash. And it might have dipped like a percent one day. And then the next day it was up 5%. And it was like, yep, that's, you know, yeah. that's what happens.
5: Yeah. yeah. I, I think one thing to be cautious of and you looking at like social media data and sentiment data, sometimes there's just a lot of noise without much substance in it as well. Uh, so things can appear much more blown up or storm in a teacup than they actually are
4: great great yeah storm in a teacup ooh
5: there you go that's your English guy for you <laughs>
4: storm in a teacup I'm going to start using
3: that so so Ed before we let you go um, are there any other you know company you know we, we have a lot of big earnings coming out the next three three weeks or so are there any other companies that you think similar? Web will have some interesting reports on that we can get you back on maybe ahead of uh, Facebook's earnings or or something like that?
5: Sure. So we'll be uh, looking at the social media companies like Twitter coming forward. We'll say Peloton's a big one and Chewy. And uh, we will hopefully have many more than that as well.
3: Ooh, Chewy Chewy would be a good one to get some of the similar web data on because it's all, it's like a hundred percent e-commerce. So you'd see every site that people are visiting, um, you know, checkout pages and all that. So uh, we'll look at the earnings schedule. I'll, I'll reach out uh, back to you, Ed, and, and we'll see when, when we can get you on again for a nice little earnings preview. I think this has been uh, very informative, and we're all now even more excited to watch Netflix uh, earnings call
5: tomorrow afternoon. Likewise. Thanks Fantastic. A lot, well, thank you very much for having me in the show. Thanks a lot. All man. right.
4: Thank you. All right. Uh, okay, AB, we're going to have Matt Hammond on from IPO Warriors in seven minutes to preview the week in IPO. And in the meantime, there are a couple other things. Let, let, let's see what the chat's focused on. I also and- want to
3: ask the chat for some uh, feedback from that segment because this, this is something we might be trying to do more and more as I kind of uh, asked that if, if he wanted to come back on for different companies. If you think looking at some of that data is interesting, um, informative, you know, let us know in the chat. If you didn't care for it, let us know as well, uh, because we, we do want to take some feedback from from the chat as we're trying new segments, yes. new guests. We
4: are always looking for recurring segments. If you liked that, throw if you liked that, throw one out there. And like, if you liked it enough for us to do like a recurring segment, throw one out there. If you liked it, but don't know if you need you need a recurring segment, um, especially during earnings season, maybe you throw out a two. If you think once was fine. If you hate Ed, you never <laughs> want to see Ed again. Throw a three up there. Um, just curious. Um, speaking of Mark Zuckerberg, he's in the chat right now. I don't know if you saw Facebook today, Ab, but it is having a very good day. Facebook is Facebook the the number one performing stock in the S and P five hundred right now today. Let's find out. Is that is that the case?
3: It could be. I mean, up three three almost three and a half percent. Um, it's not it's not
4: but but it, i thought it, it looked like it for a minute there it might it's be it, the
3: high, the best best performing fang stock
4: it, it is it is the third best performing technology stock today uh facebook is can we get a chart up there yeah. um one of yours because i'm doing this from my janky setup mark why are you pumping mark in the chat man mark z why why are you pumping facebook what's going on here I don't know what's uh, it, there. Probably is, there's no news today that I saw. Is there news?
3: I think it um, just. Uh, I, I think. Oh, uh, you know, it, it it sold off so hard yeah. over you know the past couple of weeks since the whistleblower mm. that it probably just got to a point where buyers are coming in. Um, yeah. let me get the chart pulled up. Here,
4: well, here's a headline: Facebook from Bloomberg. Facebook on track for holiday ad surge at, despite supply chain woes. Hmm. hmm.
3: So I mean, Spencer, we talked about this before when we were talking about Facebook. I like. The, the aspect that I like about Facebook is from the Oculus department. Uh, um, I, I And again, I think no matter the, what bad press we have out there, the stock, if it trades down, will get to a point where buyers will come in and say, hey, this is a good deal for Facebook. This is a good deal. You know, I want to take on this risk. Um, and that's what it looks like to me. It looks like just so we were up at 380, stock got beaten down over the whistleblowers, and then, hey, it, it hit a spot where people – came in and decided, Hey, th- this yeah. stock, even with some bad press is worth it at $320 or so. I'm not yeah. trading it right now. I'm not touching it, but long term, I do like the, um, C- Oculus part.
4: Chris K is in the chat. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you're liking the headline that he posted. I saw this headline last night that they're supposedly hiring like 10,000 workers in like Germany. was it Germany or was it just Europe more broadly, maybe even Europe more broadly, um, to, to work on, on the metaverse. Um, I guess, they, dude, this is this is just a distraction technique. Facebook is just being like, like, hey, Metaverse, look over here. Forget about all the other antitrust stuff over here. Look over here. Look over here. You uh, know what
3: else is performing really well today, which has been- just, Tesla? Yep. Strong yep. as hell over the Tesla, past two, like two three months. Let me pull that chart up real quick. Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, we have Tesla earnings, what, tomorrow?
4: Nah, Thursday. I Holy think. cow. Oh, special. no. Wait, is it wet? No, it's Wednesday. Shoot, these I are shouldn't...
3: daily candles. Look, one, two, three, four, five, six green candles in a row. If we zoom out a little bit um, to back in May, stock was at around $550, all the way up to $860 right now. So we, we talked about this before, Spencer, that we're not used to seeing Tesla making these moves in kind of a sustained, uh, you know, inching up. We're used to seeing like big 10% candles like this. So I think it's almost kind of gone under the radar how strong Tesla has been the past three months, five months.
0: Yeah,
4: I never thought that was possible, but I think you can make a case for that. Um, let, let's drop some data on you. Here, yeah, I just looked. Um, I just looked up how Tesla performs into earnings, into during and out of earnings. So, earnings is in two days, right? It's Wednesday after the close. So we've uh, today we got tomorrow, we got Wednesday. All right. Um, in, histor- in in the last, uh, three years, so 12 quarters in the last three years, Tesla on average trades two and a half percent higher in the three days prior to earnings. Meaning if you bought the stock three days before and you sold it right before earnings, you get, th- you get two and a half percentage points, you get one and a half percentage points higher two days before earnings. So if you bought the stock two days before you sold it right before you get a gain of 1.5%. And on the day, if you buy uh, Tesla the day of at the open and sell it right at the close, you get a gain over the last three years of 09 so about 1%. Um, that's just an average return. Netflix is twice as likely to trade higher into earnings as it is to trade out over. Uh, it's twice as likely to trade higher as it is to trade lower into earnings. Now, Let's go out of earnings, okay? Moving after the beyond Wednesday. Um, in the last three years, Netflix trades down on average one percent the day after earnings. So this is what earnings are Wednesday night. This is, uh, this is looking at Wednesday's close to Thursday's close, right? The one day, that first day after trades down on average one percent. It trades higher. On average, by three percent, if you go out two days after its report, it trades higher by an average of five percent, if you go out three days after its report. It trades higher if you go a week out, and if you go two weeks out, uh, both those time periods are two. One week out is two point eight percent. Two weeks out is four percent higher. So Netflix, with the exception of that first day, so in this in, in this week it would be Thursday. With the exception of Thursday, Netflix is historically, in the last three years at least, more likely than not to trade higher in the two days. Like if you were to if you were to take a Wednesday's close to Friday's close, Wednesday's close to Monday's close, um, Wednesday's close to Wednesday's close, and then Wednesday's close to two weeks from now. So Netflix does trade higher the further you go out of earnings. I hope that was helpful. It was a lot of numbers there. I tried not to make it too numbery, but I hope that was helpful.
3: I Spencer, I actually have an open call on Netflix right now because oh, I, it, I, it just, it's like a no brainer to me. It's like, I feel like they're going to come out and say, Oh my God, squid game produced this much money. We're going to be able to use this to leverage it into, you know, whatever and, and get more international hits, etc., etc." et, cetera, et cetera. I, 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 I especially view my options trades as essentially bets when they're into earnings. Um, So it's not something that I would say like, Oh, this is a good sound investment strategy. It's more something that, Oh, Hey, I was willing to take on the risk of this $500 call in the chance that Netflix is going to be up 5% after earnings, but it's already, my, my contract is already up today. So much Spencer. And if it's up again tomorrow, I might sell it before the earnings call, which I know if I do that, and then the stock does move up after earnings. I'll be beating myself for not holding it through earnings. But yeah, I've been learning to you know just let go of that and say, hey, I can't go broke taking profits. If I'm up 30% on That's the contract, it. That's it. then 30% is good. I can take 30% gains all the time. I don't need to, to hold through earnings. Yeah, I, Andy, I essentially am YOLOing. But I, I, what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to YOLO with a little bit more discipline and strategy rather than just saying, Oh, I'm up 30%. I'm still going to to hold it through earnings and potentially give up all those gains um, and go in the red because I was getting greedy. You know, I, the, the classic uh, you know, bears get rich, bulls get rich, pigs get slaughtered. I'm not trying to be a pig out there. So um, I'll let y'all know tomorrow what I end up doing, who knows? Netflix could sell off and open down 2% tomorrow morning. And then I'm in the red already before Wait, even earnings even. Comes I, out.
4: I, I want to bring Matt Hammond on, but before we do it, before that Cameron doll, yes, there are a couple of quarters in there that were that, that during COVID that like were insane. Right. Cause that, that we'll throw off those numbers a little bit, right. The, the April and the April 2020 quarter uh, or April 2020 report. And the, the october 2019 report after their split those yes those numbers were out you know they, they, they skew the average to some extent but point still stands if you go out more than one day after after earnings tesla is more likely than not to trade higher that's the point i was trying to make well, yeah. yeah real
3: quick before we yeah. bring uh hammond on the uh netflix along with the other big fang stocks amazon facebook apple they had that one quarter where they all just broke like re- record revenues and they all essentially traded down after those earnings reports i think because of guidance basically saying like hey even though we had a record quarter we can't expect this next quarter
4: yeah that that was that was last time I think two last time, quarter two quarters ago maybe i think it might have been two
3: quarters ago yeah
4: i don't know okay Let, let's bring on matt hammond from ipo warriors and we'll talk about the IPOs happening this week. There's a, there's one new stock that's training today. It's from a SPAC, though. So I don't know if Matt is following back at all. Maybe he is because I think they're big internationally. I have no idea. Let's get Matt on here. Matt. Oh, wait. Where, where'd he go? Where'd he go? There he is. Nope. AB. Stop messing hey. with my show. <laughs> Matt, right. what's up, man? Hey, Spencer. How's it going? How was your weekend?
2: Ah, not too bad. We had a beautiful day out here in Kiev. Uh, two days, actually. Nice weather. Awesome. Sunny. Awesome. Fall so, colors dropping in, and uh, do yeah. do, you,
4: do you get do you get the that seasonality that that that, 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 that in yeah Ukraine? full on. And I'm from Northern yeah.
2: California, where we pretty much just have you know <laughs> cold summers and warm winters, and you wake up any day and not know what. Uh, we don't really have much here. We've got you know s- spring is uh, birds of you know birds of colors singing in the trees wow. and uh, wow. flowers blooming everywhere. Awesome. summers are you know nice and green and lush fall is you know full-on reds and yellows and winter is snow uh very cold snow which i'm not particularly fond of or used to so uh yeah it's it's a new kind of a new experience for me but um you know you adjust and you find the beauty in in what you can and uh it's it, it, it's actually a pretty comfortable city if you've never people don't put it on their list but having you know traveled all over the world i was I've been pleasantly impressed with, uh, with, with it, it, it's very affordable. The people are great, very attractive people, across the board, and sure um, sure the food true. the food is wonderful. Uh, it's pretty comfortable. I mean, it's far easier, in my opinion, uh, than getting around a lot of the places in uh, in Asia
4: that I've been to. So,
2: uh,
4: all right, Matt. Yeah, Matt, I recommend how was, it. How was last week for you on the, on the IPO trading front?
2: I'm still a little bit stuck in the swing positions that I got in, uh, on this, you know, last dip, they just finally started coming back to the green side. So I don't have as much funds and I'm a little bit, I'm being very cautious of anything I play and, uh, I ended up just not really getting into anything yesterday, though. I did watch everything and we'll look at the two sort of winning trades that, uh, we, you know, there were, one of them was the one that we knew was going to do well, but. We can see why, and I'm going to talk through it a little bit, because just because we see a winning setup after the fact doesn't mean it would have been a great play compared to the ones where I've really been able to take huge wins. Um, and that's because, and actually I'll do these in reverse order simply because it's more interesting. GitLab's was the one that we really were all watching. But when I look at GitLab, and we talked about this last week, we talked about how it was pricing at, you know, $55 to $60, and we expected, you know, that the IPO would then price above that. Well, I didn't expect it to price at seventy-seven dollars. That was pretty. Um, we haven't really seen. I mean, usually we'll see something price maybe a few dollars above range. We'll see the range get increased, and the price maybe it's sixty to sixty-five. They really took a lot of the. You know, it's almost nice to see that the you know the insiders, the um, investment bankers, had to pay a premium on top of the price range, but then you see the debut at 94, you know, kind of like, wow, that's, I mean, the original price range is like 50 to 55. So we're getting almost to 100% of the debut, you know, a debut price, almost 100% what the initial price range was. And you kind of look at this valuation, you say, this doesn't make any sense from a valuation point of view. So this is all momentum at this point and how much retail demand is there going to be and at 94 95 debut you kind of mentally say okay well there's likely going to be some resistance at 100 and a lot of these have only briefly kind of made it over 100 and then sharply uh, corrected and i don't know if i really want to take that kind of risk and to me i kind of mentally said all right well the ipo price you know is probably the low if this comes back down maybe it comes down to 80 or 85 Uh, but if it goes up maybe it goes to 100 or a little bit over 100 so the risk reward at this level wasn't right for me especially given kind of the state that my portfolio was in on the day this went live and i kind of weigh all those things out and i think well do i want to like is this something i'm willing to like go all the way to the extremes of my margin like a play when i'm really confident on a play i will take every dollar of spending power i have minus maybe a little bit of wiggle room and put it into the play and is that that is this that kind of play and to me it wasn't and okay if i if i had played it at 94 you look off the open it did a lot of sort of like it didn't look so great off for about the first hour of trading it opened at 94, it spiked up to 96.50 and then came back down to 93, 93.50. And at that point for about half an hour, you're sitting there going, Ugh, did I make a bad trade here? And then it comes back up to 96.50 and drops back down. And you're still thinking, I mean, you're an hour into this and you're going, geez, this isn't really looking all that hot. And then it does make a run. If you had held through this opening hour, this would be a very you know compelling time when it goes up to 97, you say, okay, I'll take my three points on the trade. Uh, maybe you pick up that it's, um, you know, hitting this upper resistance here, which often it will break through, but then it comes back down below 94. So any safe approach that I would have normally taken to this, which would have been trailing stop losses limits at big numbers would have gotten me out before it eventually made this run up to first 100, you see it tabled off there, which would have been kind of the obvious place to exit. And if you'd have had to have so much conviction in this trade, no, this is going to run uh, to have held even just up here to about 105, which would have been the next logical exit, that it's it's not an easy trade. Like the trades where we've seen like docs, that was an easy trade. It just went straight up and then You know, the whole time it was doing its bouncing around was so far up above the debut price that you 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 weren't sitting in any red positions. So even overnight it, you know, it held up. Okay. Came up to 107 here, uh, opened it about 104, 105, dropped down, came up and then it dropped all the way back down to 93. So if you hadn't sold by these points and you're sitting here and it's all the way back down to 93, you're kicking yourself. I mean, are you then going to hold all the way back up to, you know, this top here? I think it topped out after hours at like 115, but uh, it's not an easy trade. And it's not, you know, just because it was a good pitch doesn't mean that it was the right pitch for you to swing at. And for me, this was a you know great play if you had the conviction to, you know, to go after it. But I didn't, and I wasn't in a position to take that risk in this date. So this is just a good example that you're not going to catch every big fish, even when you have them on the line. It's and, so interesting.
4: Uh, it's so interesting. Cause you, you, you know, you, you look at the IP, the range, right. And then you see the price opens at, you know, significant premium. And then the, uh, well, no, it's priced at a premium. And then it opens at a premium to that. And then it goes higher than that. And you think, Oh, people, everyone just made bank on this. I mean, some people made bank on this, the insiders did, but like that, just cause it, ripped up higher doesn't mean it was the easiest trade in the world. It's exactly. easy to like, it's easy to think back at that. Right. Like, oh my. So, so obvious. But and when you're in what... the, when you're in the moment, it like doesn't feel that way.
2: Right. Yeah. So. And, and, and having played, I think I've played over a hundred IPOs now pretty easily. And yeah. um, this just you know, this, this just wasn't a comfortable, easy one uh, to take profits on. Where even, you know, this one, H C T I, which I, didn't love anyway. Uh, It priced at four, and then debuted at 317. Generally speaking on a low float IPO, that's a pretty good move as long as it's not like a healthcare biotech stock. This actually is healthcare triangle, but it's not a biotech. Uh, And to see it go from three, you know, to open at 317, coming back up to four is a pretty obvious play, especially this had some Twitter buzz, it had a lot of allocations. People would be either holding it or uh, at least not selling. You know, if you got allocated the stock at $4, you're going to sell it right away for less than $4. dollars you to give it a chance to maybe come back up. So getting in at 3.17, if you bought the debut and sold it at 4, it's a pretty safe play, I would say. If you didn't, you know, somehow you held on and sold at 4 in the morning, at 4.80, that was the maximum win pot potential, but unrealistic realistic play here and it's just easy there's nothing uncomfortable about buying at 317 and watching it go straight up and waiting it out okay so you saw you know you can put a stop loss on and not make as much but you aren't taking a loss which is really the name of the game and you know when you compare that play to this it's like this make a lot of money in a few minutes this Potentially, this could have gone way down, and you would have had to hold through a lot of um, turbulence just to, you know, multiple times. Which, it's not fun when you're up you know, ten dollars on a trade and then you're down ten dollars on a trade, um, and and I know people say, oh, but it's not about you know points; it's about its percentage. The way that I've been playing IPOs really is to focus on dollar movements because I'm sort of like a thousand shares is a full position, five hundred shares is a half position. Anything less than that is just kind of I'm bored and want to play something. Anything more than that is I'm really convinced this is going to run. And I kind of play them that way so that I'm thinking about things more in point moves. Maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to traditional investors. For me, it really distills things into what I typically see in terms of point movement off the debut price. So um, neither of these was particularly attractive to me. They were just learning examples, especially GitLab. This is the kind of play where two years ago, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely going to go straight up," and it would have probably, you know, we saw companies like Lemonade, companies like um, Big Commerce. Uh, another one was the um, there were there were whole, it, it about a year ago, a year and a half ago, every IPO that was tech growth. Uh, Brand name. Oh, NCNO. That one was another good one. Oh, I haven't looked at that one in a minute. How is that one I think doing? It gets back up to about 78, 80, something where, you know, mid
4: 70s. NCNO. Yeah. Wow. That got to above 100. Huh?
2: Yeah. That debuted and pretty much ripped. And that was one of the yeah. first IPOs that I was actually, you know, I came up with the strategy. It took me a while to really get it in, you know, dial it in. And uh, Lemonade was the first one. And CNO was the next kind of big one big commerce was the first one that i really just stuck it out through day 2 and took a huge win and after that i was kind of like oh i think i understand this yeah of course those market conditions were optimal and market conditions have not been for the past few months so now we need to look at and that's why for me gitlab was a you know it's kind of like a real test of the waters it was like okay is the water warm again all right it is, it's uh, a bit turbulent, but, you know, when we see the next sort of brand name recognition, low float, I mean, that was another thing They did go with the low float, which makes it hard to lose. And, um, you know, it's a, it basically showed me, okay, you can swim here again and I'll be ready for the next one. And this is kind of the approach that has worked for me in the past. To sort of for, you know let the first soldier ride out on his own and see how he does and then then, then uh, gauge the battle from there.
4: All right. So what do we have this week? This yeah, week
2: go. so we've got some important stuff. Uh, nothing particularly um, noticeable. Nothing blockbuster, but certainly a few that I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, this is probably my pick of the week, given that uh, Bitcoin is you know ripping right now. The miners are all up Uh, this is stronghold digital mining and they're a us-based bitcoin miner and the big kind of point about them is that they use discarded coal so they're helping pennsylvania clean up all these like waste coal piles of waste coal that they have they bought their own power plant it's a coal-powered and i know that it's sort of mixed signals here but they are getting the eco positive label they're helping clean up all these discarded coal piles uh, to power their power plant, which exclusively runs their, you know, Bitcoin mining rigs. Okay. Um, now what, so to me it's, it's a buzz I, name. I, I
4: can't tell if this is ESG or not. I don't think it is, but I, I don't know.
2: It's uh, certainly, whatever. they're trying to position it in that angle and the low float, Plus, it's a Robinhood offering. So, Robin can you explain Hood...
4: explain what that means? Robinhood offering equals okay. lockup.
2: Well, it's not a lockup so much as Robinhood allocates shares and then recommends or kind of asks that their traders hold them for up to thirty days. In in, in the kind of the uh, the carrot, there is saying, well, if you behave well on this offering, you're more likely to get allocations on the next offerings, and. We've seen on a few of the recent ones that it appears to restrict some of the volatility in the float in that the Robinhood, you know, buyers are saying, okay, well I could sell this on day one and take a profit or, uh, but that, but that might hurt me in the future. So, um, it's not a hard lockup. It's not like written into the S one or anything that you know, these shares are locked up, but it does seem to limit, Whereas with the Webull offerings, I would say there's no effect. Weeble doesn't say anything about it, doesn't seem to care. And people who get their allocations on Webull will sell, you know, the minute they get an opportunity to take a win. And I think it was it was last week or the, it was the week before we saw a VLCN. And um, that was that EV for off road. Recreational, like off-road motorcycles, mm-hmm. right, no right, right? Did EV. run, yeah. but not until it first, you know, went through a down downward halt. So the IPO was priced at five dollars. It debuted at nine oh one, and a bunch of, you know, I presume Weeble IPO allocate, you know, people who received that allocation said, "I'll take that win right now." Eighty percent up, down, you know, sell, and that triggered a downward halt. And I did, haven't seen that on the low float. of Robin Hood plays. And I believe there to be a correlation in that Robin Hood is saying, hey, and they say it very clearly, you know, don't sell these right away because we're not going to give you you're not going to get to participate in the next you know, in the next play. So this one just comes at a good time, whereas, uh, you know, even Coinbase has been coming back. I think it's inching up toward what's it, 295 today. After spending months down at 230, 240, 250, uh, riots up, Mara's up, all the Bitcoin miners are up right now. And as long as we don't get a huge crash in Bitcoin between now and Wednesday when this IPO goes live, I mean, Bitcoin is the the buzzword right now. And this is eco Bitcoin mining in the U.S. with uh, a low float. So to me, this has you know it has what you're looking for in terms of a of an IPO debut. So this is
4: Wednesday late morning, probably. Right.
2: oh uh, it's hard to tell, but usually the low floats go a little bit earlier in the day. Um, well, that that
4: would make sense, right? <laughs> you're right. <it> takes <laughs> that, that, less time to pair all takes, the shares. It takes less time, so
2: uh, you can use uh, Benzinga Pro. Does have if you put in the news feed, put in the ticker SDIG. I would say. A, 50, 60% of the time, Benzinga will tell you when the shares will start uh, pricing. And then you can use an app like Weeble uh, on the phone app. You can see what the price indicator is. In other words, you know, this will price, I think the price range right now is 18 to $20. And then, you know, the the actual price at which it starts trading will probably be up from there a little bit. But you'd be able to set if you want to try to buy this rate right on the debut, which I will be doing, uh, you just set your limit order just above that, say a dollar above what you see the indication price being. And then when it does go live, your order will get triggered immediately. And for a play like this, I expect us to see, I expect it to go off the debut. It would surprise me if, um, if this didn't go straight up unless the indication price is so high that it uh, flounders a little bit, but we saw Argo blockchain do pretty well off of its debut uh, when it was uplisted about a week or two ago. And given the conditions for Bitcoin mining, this uh, this looks looks interesting to me.
4: Okay, what else we got?
2: Okay, BioFrontera, we talked about this last week. Some skincare overexposure to the sun... I mean, not a lot of customers, not great financials. The only thing that might bring attention to this is the ultra low float, 3 million shares. But for low, you know, for IPO traders that target these low float debuts, uh, would you rather have, you know, skin care for overexposure to the sun or would you rather do eco-friendly Bitcoin mining when Bitcoin is, you know, flying over 60,000 a coin? Um, I don't know. I don't I don't know if this gets much attention. Maybe I'm wrong. But low float's been where it's at. MarPi, this is also rescheduled. Once things start getting rescheduled a bunch of times, I think people start losing interest in them, partly because it shows that there's not as much. I mean, if they're not going live, it's because they couldn't get people to buy the shares. This one is Think Equity as the underwriter. It's some AI driven healthcare software for self-insured companies. I don't know. This isn't that interesting to me. (laughs) I don't even know
4: know what that means.
2: Me neither. And I didn't really like, uh, find too much information of that seemed to understand what it was. I checked out their website, but I guess a big piece of this is that they are merging with another company that brings kind of the AI piece of it. And it's some kind of like, um, you know, companies have their, their create healthcare groups to give, Benefits to their employees. And this helps manage the pairing of those groups with the actual healthcare providers. Um, okay. Yeah. So okay. it's not all that sexy to begin with. No, it and is not. You can't just throw AI at healthcare and make it super interesting. It doesn't even work for the pretty interesting sounding drug discovery platforms, have not done well on their IPOs either. So I. Unless everybody and Twitter starts, you know, and FinTwit starts going, oh, yeah, this is the one. Which um, you
4: never know. You never know. You don't never you know. Never and say never.
2: They were able to drive our NAS up, you know, over what, 50, 80 percent over the first day or two. So if they can do it, you know, to anything, 2.7 million shares is is potentially, you know, can become a target on its own. But as far as the company itself and where I'm at with trading these, I think, uh, the uh, SDIG is my favorite for the 20th Then we go to the 21st. This one is Vita Coco water. Um, it's coconut water. So I've heard of
4: this one <laughs> Healthy stuff.
2: Yeah. To me, it's very similar to Oatly. Uh, the float is pretty similar. The valuation is pretty similar. Uh, the space is pretty similar. Um, Will. And also this, I believe is also a Robin hood offering. So, it's just not – I mean, first of all, it's my wife's birthday on October 21st. She'll kill me if I'm staring at my phone all day. Uh, also, you know, it's like happy,
4: happy birthday to your wife, but also it's like coconut water. You know, it's like
2: really? How excited are we going to get about coconut water? Happy says his
4: mom's addicted. I I, I believe it, I believe, but, but isn't that – is it? Is it really that It's sexy? amazingly
2: good stuff. I lived in, when I was living in Hainan Island, China for 10 years, we could buy, you know, you just walk straight out on the street and buy whole coconuts. They just, with a machete, chop the top off of it, stick a straw in it. And it's an awesome hangover cure. It's a great uh, way to, you know, if you've been in the sun all day, it like, it, it, it is amazing stuff. It's very uh, nutritious and, good stuff, but I don't know how much excitement's going to come out of this one. And I just I'm really trying to be more disciplined and trying to pick, you know, what I'm playing and looking for the clear winners rather than play everything and try uh, to try to, you know, squeeze just a so, little so, bit of juice out of each so, play. So
4: there's nothing about the actual IPO itself that excites you? No. Okay. Fair enough.
2: Brand name, brand recognition, day two runner, maybe. Um, or day two jump. I just don't see it moving a whole lot based on what Oatly Great. did. That's fair. Yeah. All right, P10 Inc. This is an advice... They, they do advisory service for alternative assets uh, to financial institutions. Okay. And I went through their website right. a lot. And it's, it seems like a fancy investment company, which actually these, you know, JPMorgan and Goldman Sachs...
4: I could be into, into this. I could I could be into this. Yeah,
2: the... the and I and I'm into it too. I don't particularly like up listings, and the reason is that up listings generally we see a spike in the OTC shares, which were PIOE. We see a spike as soon as they announce that they're going to uplist to the Nasdaq. Yes. So uh, we see that you know they they've gone on a pretty big run. They're up 200% since October 2020. Um, it was priced at seven fifty, just about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and went up to eleven fifty uh, at the close of last week. So to me, it's kind of like, you know, in September they said, "Hey, we're uplisting," and everyone's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to buy this," and they've jumped the price already. So, of course, once they list on the Nasdaq, then other indexes and you know hedge funds will be able to buy this more easily. I think you know a lot of a lot of uh, holding. Uh, a lot of companies that manage financial assets for other people you know can't delve into otc stocks and now they'll be right. able to play this right. so maybe we'll see right. maybe that's what everyone's jumping in on they do have very strong numbers i mean revenue is up 144 percent over the last six months operating profits up 25 percent their net income and cash flow positive so all of those are great numbers uh 20 million shares itself isn't exciting on its own it's not 30 million but it's not you know, I get excited on low float, below 10 yeah. million, but
4: yeah, well, again. this, seems, this would seem like a good business to be in. That's irrelevant for the first day or two of the stock, obviously, but, but I, I could be into this. So it seems like you're into it for a different reason. And, and all right, this is for, what is this Friday?
2: Thursday. This is for Thursday. Yeah. All right. But again, I'm not going to be trading Thursday. So take that. Yeah. With,
4: uh, to, Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: That salt on whatever, all right. Uh, picks on we got, we got
4: today. any more for this week?
2: A few Portillos, oh, uh,
4: Portillos. Oh this is man, you know
2: about, but I've never heard of. So
4: oh, uh, we got to talk. You, I can't wait to talk levels. about this one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so you know, they didn't have a great. They didn't, you know, like all restaurants, they didn't do great during COVID, but they're bouncing back, and they were able to maintain, you know, cash flow positive, net income positive, operating profits, and revenue is still. I mean, it's still up for the last two quarters compared to a year ago, uh, that doesn't mean a whole lot because we are, you know, coming out of a pandemic <clears throat> and, you know, gross profits. None of, none of those financials mean a whole lot, except I do like to see gross margins of 70%. That just means like, well, as we make more money, um, you know, as revenue comes back, our margins are very strong. We'll be, a, you know, continue to be a profitable company and that they survived the pandemic. We all believe that there's less, you uh, Competition now. Uh, a lot of restaurants went out of business permanently. So maybe this, you know, I was wrong about the um, that lifetime uh, lifetime gym lifetime holdings that gym uh, IPO. They of course debuted below their IPO price, which helps. But they got a Kramer pump. Uh, people got into it, and you know, Portillo's does seem to have that brand recognition. To me, it's a little bit like Bros was for the West Coast. Uh, Portillo's, <laughs> everyone I've talked to who's in Detroit or Chicago or in the Midwest has said, Oh, I love that place. Oh, my friends will be into that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know what this is. So, yeah, do you, you want know, to say I, something about this one?
4: That's not a bad idea. You know, they're not a, in Detroit, they're not in Michigan, but but you know, they're in Chicago, and then everyone who's been in Chicago has had Portillo's, and and yeah, it's a name brand for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm into the name brand recognition. Um, we've seen that carry IPOs in the past, so I'm into it for that reason. Um, I don't, you know, not necessarily gonna gonna buy into this kind of a restaurant long term. But as far as the it's IPO, not health food, from what
2: I understand, it's uh, it is very pretty, opposite. Pretty it, is the,
4: it, it is the opposite of that. But it's yeah. but it's it, it is good. It is not good for you. But it, mm. it is good. Yeah, they almost never are. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, the contrast between Coco and uh, PX, but uh, I'll be watching this one yeah. and probably not playing. All
4: right, what else we got here? Infusion. Uh, the
2: Infusion. I like this one. It's an investment managing reporting software. Revenues are up thirty percent over the last six months. Gross profits up 36 uh, percent the last six months, and it has that trifecta of positive operating profit, positive net income, cash flow positive uh, for the first six months of this year. And the float isn't too high, so if I was looking for kind of a safe one that if it didn't work out right away would probably bail you out in the long run, uh, this one looks pretty good in this market. If the you know especially if earnings are strong across you know all the earnings that come out this week by the time Thursday rolls around, if the market's in a good mood, this one would be pretty interesting for me. Uh, Wink, this is uh, a wine grower and retailer that's done really well. And they basically have a vertical market for growing and selling their wine uh, on a subscription-based model. Their growth was really high between 2019 and 2020. Maybe they benefited a bit from the pandemic. And last six months ending June 30th, we've got revenue up 20%, gross profit up 38%. But they are negative across the kind of the baseline financials of operating profit, net income, and cash flow. The thing that makes this a little bit interesting is that it's wine and it's a very low float. Uh, they're also moving towards operating profit, income, and cash flow. So, if everybody gets excited on the SDIG play uh, the day before and we see that spike, we might see people kind of turn around and go, "Okay, what's the next low float IPO?" So maybe this one's interesting just because of the low float and it's not a biotech, but it will need, you know, if you want to play this one, I would be checking Twitter and seeing, are people talking about this? Are there at least kind of three to five people who give this some kind of pump or a thumbs up or a, Hey, I'm watching this. If not, um, you know, it probably isn't a great play, but it's worth keeping an eye on simply because it's low float it's wine it's growth. They're moving towards cash flow positive, and um, that combination has been it has worked out more often than it's not. This All one, right, we, some...
4: we got we got a couple more than I see our next guest here. So
2: yeah, yeah, okay. Runway Growth Finance. I'm gonna skip this one. I couldn't find out, find almost any information. It's just on a couple lists. So I'm gonna skip that one. Okay. Minerva Surgical. This is UTRS, a uterine medical device that offers alternatives to hysterectomy.
4: <laughs> nice ticker.
2: I know. (laughs) Sometimes you just think, okay, you guys get a gold star for creative use of four symbols. Revenue is up 117%. Gross profit up 255%. They are negative on the operating net income and cash flow, but their baseline financials are improving and the float is just 6.25 million shares. I would really like this, except there's a big red flag in that they are in an ongoing patent infringement lawsuit. So they're kind of like selling a bunch of uh, devices and services, but, and, uh, you know, you don't know if the market's going to look at that patent infringement lawsuit and say, mm, no thanks. So again, if this becomes a momentum play for some reason, generally, we haven't seen it happen so much in kind of obscure medical devices, but it, it it's one where if I was sitting at my desk, I might play it. If the debut price wasn't too extreme or came in below the IPO price, but um it's just everything on the 21st for me is kind of like hmm, interesting because i'm not going to play it. i'm not assigning all that yeah, much got you know, emotional attachment to it but it does have that low you know really strong growth highly necessary device and conservative float so you know if it weren't for that patent infringement lawsuit they might not even need the ipo but um i would be uh, I, I, it's a red flag so i don't know Singulate, we talked about it before drug delivery for ADHD It's rescheduled from last week, low float. Some people are into this on social media. People keep asking me about it. So maybe it goes well, we don't have a date yet. And when we don't see that, we've already seen it rescheduled twice. I kind of tend to think it's going to keep getting rescheduled until it sort of falls off. And by the time it does show up, we'll all be so tired of talking about it that there won't be much interest. Eris water. This is a water treatment for basically for like oil rigs in the Permian basin. Uh, High oil prices are bad for business because oil companies are pumping less, revenue growth profits are down. It's just not a, I I wouldn't touch this. I don't understand it well enough. Ventix, therapies for inflammatory diseases like IBS, low float, Uh, again, for the last time again, I'm not gonna play biotechs anymore. And I write this more for myself because I keep breaking this rule and paying the price for it. And uh, fair. yeah, just don't do it. It's fair. Anyway, uh, Matt, that's it for now. Wow, go. we
4: got the full slate this week. Matt Hammond, IPOWARRIERS.com. Link is in the description to his site, to his newsletter. And uh, yeah, sign
2: up for the newsletter at ipowarriors.com. I'll send out a little bit more analysis on these and my kind of strategies for trading each one. Warriors.com. Get the newsletter, it's free And uh, follow me on Twitter, I send updates right. there as well Thanks
4: a lot, Matt Alright, someone in the chat was, was asking me was just asking, where's Jake? Jake is here! Let me get Jake on right now Jake Jastic from Trendspider He's the man with the charts and the raindrops I'm here How are we doing? Doing well, how are you? I am doing good, I'm doing better uh, I don't think I'm allowed back in the office yet but I am. I glad to be, hear. I could better. be in the office if they were. To, if they let me in, I would go. But I don't think they're going to let me in right now. Um, hey, I saw you were down in Florida for the Fintech Conference with a few people from Benzinga who were there as well. Tell, tell me how that was.
1: Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was uh, really the perfect amount of people. Um, it was. It was big enough where you know you could meet a lot of people. But it wasn't too big where you know, it just kind of got out of control. So uh, it was it was about 150 people. I uh, had a great time and met a lot of people that I've been interacting with on awesome. Twitter for quite some time and never actually shook their hand. So it was overall a great time.
4: Awesome. All right. Well, let's get some charts up. That's why – that's what the people want. So what? what that's the spy. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us what you're looking at here.
1: Yep. So, I mean, at, the way I look at the markets, I – generally am always going to look at a top-down approach. So I kind of mentioned that every time I come on the live stream, if if I want to look at individual names, I need to look at how the overall markets are looking because they have a lot of push um, when it comes to these individual names and their setups playing out. So SPY, QQQ, IWM, and Bitcoin are really the ones that I'm always looking at to see, okay, are we setting up strong for next week for the broad markets to rally? And then I kind of look at the individual names to see these setups um, that could possibly play out with a strong market. So um, SPY, just looking at the weekly chart, uh, we have a couple really strong things that have happened over the last couple of days. So on the weekly side of things, we did hold um, this trend zone area. And this is something that I don't think I had really used too much uh, previously, since this is something I really just started using a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it's essentially using the channel tool tool drawing uh, annotation feature on TrendSpider to create these zones. So um, it allows me to highlight an area rather than an exact price point. So you can see here that there's a couple times on this area uh, that, that didn't necessarily test the exact trend line here, but it did test within the zone. You can see it happened here. Uh, and we could always make this a little bigger too. It's just depending on how much margin of error you want. And if we would have, if we make it a little wider, you can see we touched here, we touched here. So trend lines should always be really more of a trend zone. So that's what I have on here. And we also have the volume by price from the COVID lows. Uh, This was a really, really important time in the market where the market pretty much reset. So we want to measure volume distribution and where is volume and where has it transacted since this uh, capitulation point. You can see we have the point of control down here around 415 on SPY, but we also have a ton of volume here from around 430 to around 445. And you can see here that that acted as a really nice base for price over the last couple of weeks when we were um, pulling, uh, pulling down um, to new lows uh, from, from the all time highs. So now we're starting to kind of peak out of this trend zone support area, and we have a lot of blue sky above. Now, if you look at the daily chart, you'll see here if we anchor the volume by price in the anchored VWAP from the swing high here, which is pretty much the all-time high, you'll see a couple things. You'll see one, we finally did close above this uh, September second anchored VWAP. So you can see here that this acted pretty much as resistance the whole way down. We had a slight close above it on September twenty fourth, but then uh, we didn't have any follow through, and we we had it once again in uh, the first week of October. Did not actually close above it. And then finally on Thursday, we just blasted through it. Friday, we gapped up again. And now today, we're actually engulfing all of Friday's action. So, really strong price action forming here. If we move this over a little bit, you'll see here that we also have this other uh, small volume node shelf type of thing uh, forming here. So, and just move that here. And we've got this next area of volume supporting price up here. So this can act as kind of another launch pad for price as it did uh, back on uh, October 12th and 13th. So it's, it's really hard for me to be bearish on the markets right now. I mean, who knows? Maybe we could fill some of these gaps below. But a lot of people have this fallacy in the market that gaps have to fill. And they have to fill within a couple of days from when they gapped. That is not the case. These gaps could literally be open for months um, Or who knows, they could never fill. You don't want to create a thesis on, oh, yeah, we gapped up. So we got to fill that gap in X amount of time. It doesn't work like that. So um, definitely uh, kind of take price action the way it is. In this case, SPY is looking very strong. The Qs are looking strong as well. Uh, so, one thing about the Qs is we're actually kind of lagging uh, SPY. So, before we kind of go over this, this uh, percent range RSI, uh, combo that really helped me kind of figure out that we may be bottoming or close to it. Uh, we want to look at the swing high anchored VWAP, which is the all time high volume weighted average price, meaning we're just measuring the volume weighted average price from this high when the trend reversed. And you'll see here that we're actually lagging SPY a little bit. Remember uh, when we were just looking at SPY, we had three candles above the anchored VWAP. Here we just have, uh, we just pretty much have two. So uh, SPY was actually leading here as far as a function of the anchored view app from the all-time highs goes. Now, one thing that I really want to go over here is this RSI percent range combo, which kind of explains why I'm still very bullish on the market here. And and it did help me kind of find an area where I thought we would probably uh, catch a bottom. And uh, I've had some comments like, yeah, you know, you're only looking back since 2019. That's not enough time yeah, maybe, but uh, it's it's almost 100% win rate from 2019. So you kind of have to use a lot of these different variables together. So in this case, what I'm using is I'm using the Williams percent range 10 and I'm using the RSI 10. The reason why I'm using 10 is because you have 10 trading days in two weeks. So we're essentially looking back two weeks on the the RSI and the Williams percent range. Both of these are oscillators. Uh, and the percent range is used with the RSI because it triggers divergence before the RSI. A lot of the time you will see divergence on the percent range and the RSI does not show that divergence unless you maybe go to a lower input, meaning maybe you're looking at the RSI five instead of the RSI 10. But when you're looking at the RSI 10 and the Williams percent range 10, which both have the same input, the percent range a lot of the time will show divergence When the rsi doesn't and that's exactly what happened a couple weeks ago we had this higher low here on the percent range as we hit a new low and we had the rsi oversold so you'll see here that there are times where we have this signal and we have a dead cap bounce um so what you do is you kind of see this initial dead cap bounce which is highlighted in orange and then you'll see as we hit new lows break this previous low from the dead cap bounce then you want to start looking for that divergence on the percent range. And that's exactly what happened here. We did not have divergence on the percent range shown by this orange circle, and we didn't have any type of divergence on the RSI. So that wasn't really a strong signal that we're bottoming. But once we retested this RSI oversold and we showed divergence on the percent range, that was the signal that we're probably pretty close to a bottom, if not bottoming. And this this was definitely a nice signal um, a couple of weeks ago to, to find that bottom. Now, one reason that I'm very bullish on the market still, and I think we could move up quite a bit, is notice something, this interesting relationship with the percent range in the RSI. The percent range is always going to signal overbought before the RSI a lot of the time, this will stay overbought for a long time. So what you want to do is you want to look and see, okay, well, the percent range is overbought, but the RSI is not yet. Notice that the RSI is only at 61. And notice that we've, we've topped out in the RSI way up here in the 70s to 80s. So the fact that we're signaling this momentum on the percent range and have not hit the RSI overbought levels yet, tells me that we probably have a lot more room to go. Now, on top of that, um, if you look at the seasonality going into November, it's very strong seasonality. So I want to measure the, the uh, seasonality since pretty much the, the financial crisis lows. And you'll see here going into November, we have a 75% win rate. So that means 75% of the time, November closes higher than October over the last 13 years. That's a decent data set. Now, if you look at since 2016, which was another kind of reversal point in the market before we melted much higher, uh, you can see here we have an 80% win rate. So even higher than when we're looking back since 2009. And if you look at IWM, which a lot of people in the past and still do use IWM as kind of a risk on risk off type of, uh, type of indicator or, or just overall kind of sentiment uh, gauge. You'll see here that IWM is looking like it could finally start to break out of this uh this symmetrical triangle resistance. We did get rejected right at it on the daily, but if you zoom out, look at the weekly, you know, we have been trading within this area for way too long. And generally, we, you know, when we have a volume shelf like this, meaning we've got a lot wow. of building here, you've got A pretty big launch pad for price. Now, what's interesting is last week was the first time that we've closed above the point of control um, since August. So that means that buyers are in control. I I want to stop for a
4: second. Point of control being the absolute peak of volume profile.
1: Exactly. The point of control is your largest volume node. So for those that aren't familiar with the volume by price, these volume bars, these gray bars, are measuring how much volume has transacted or happened at different prices since the COVID low. So we're measuring where has volume aggregated since we reset in in uh, 2020 in March.
4: I, I love this chart. First of all, this is a weekly chart, everyone, but I, I love how it just shows you relative to now how little volume occurred at those lows. I know we're only down there for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but you know, you're comparing a couple of weeks to a couple of months here, but it, it, it really does put things in perspective.
1: Yeah. And I mean, generally when you have this type of uh, setup, you, you resolve to the upside uh, a lot of the time. And so this is why I'm pretty bullish on some of these smaller cap names. And I'll go over a couple of those. When I say small cap, I'm not talking about $50 million market cap. I'm talking about a couple billion dollars or maybe even $5 billion market cap. Um, and the thing I want to point out here on IWM, November has a 100% win rate since 2016. Now, that doesn't mean we're guaranteed to close higher in November, but it's a pretty strong indicator of what has happened in the past since 2016. But if you want to go all the way back to January 2009, which is essentially kind of anchoring your seasonality, you don't want to necessarily look at seasonality since 1985 because there's so many different cycles that have happened since then. You want to look back pretty much since the main crash pretty much since the last big event. Now, some could call that COVID, but if you're looking back since COVID, that's only a year and a half. You can't look at seasonality on a month-by-month basis only a year and a half out. It's, there's not enough data there. So if we do look at the financial crisis, looking back, November has a 92% win rate for IWM. So um, I have been wrong over the last couple months saying we're we're ready for a small, small cap season, uh, but... Uh, going into this stronger time of the year, this kind of makes sense why we possibly could get that, that breakout. Now, notice how long we could continue to trade within this zone. So you always have to take price action into account first, and then you go from there. Now, if you want a quick example of kind of what wait wait, generally- wait, wait,
4: wait, wait, wait. Don't leave yet, because there's a question from Dan in the chat for the Don't peasant leave. folks, for the peasant okay. folks like Dan. Just explain again what, what the volume shelves are.
1: The volume shelf is an area where you have a bunch of volume holding at a specific area. Now it makes sense here because we've only been trading within this range for ten months, so that's a lot of volume that has aggregated within this area. Um, now I like I like to st- measure that from the COVID low because if we measure the volume by price from this the start of this symmetrical triangle, we already know all that volume is going to be happening there because the price action is is pretty much traded within this range for 10 months. So I wanna see a big range, meaning I wanna see pretty much from the COVID low down at 95 all the way up to 230, I wanna see, okay, is volume supporting price up here or do we not have a ton of volume? If we had this much price action occur and we didn't have a big volume area here where you've got these multiple volume bars showing we've got a lot of participants that have, um, where volume is aggregated from this participation, then that would be a red flag. But this is what you want to see. You want to see a huge range. I mean, this is literally from 95 to 230. And you want to see a lot of that volume supporting price up here. And the reason why I kind of jumped forward was I kind of want to show you guys a couple examples of how this has played out in the past. Netflix is a good example of this. If you look at the uh, the monthly chart. So pretty much Netflix, if you anchor from the, the reversal here, the 2019 lows... And I, and notice you don't have a lot of volume up here, right? That's because we're measuring the volume from way back here. But if you move this and pretty much measure it from this, this last pivot, look at all that volume there. It looks very identical to IWM except IWM is just taking a little longer. And so you have a lot of the time you have this re- resolve to the upside when you've got a lot of this volume forming a base here. Um, and sometimes it will trade, trade around, uh, the point of control, which is, you know, your biggest volume node. But a lot of the time, the point of control is part of the volume shelf, but there's also times where it's not. And I'll go over an example of that in a little bit. Do we have any other questions before, um, we move forward on, I mean, there was a couple of
4: ticker requests in the chat, so we'll get to those in a few minutes, but I want, I want you to do run through your examples first, unless you didn't have more, in which case we'll run through tickers from the chat.
1: Well, I just want to go over IWM real quick and touch on, yeah, we went over the weekly, but really look at the monthly. I mean, if you look at the monthly chart, this is what kind of kept me from being too bearish. You know, I did think that, you know, we, we could possibly have one more flush, but the RSI and the percent range kind of kept me a little level headed there and um, and and kind of stayed with, on track with, uh, you know, just waiting for that uh, signal to happen. But if you look at IWM on the monthly chart, same thing. IWM is a great measure of sentiment in the market for risk on, risk off. Generally, you're not going to have a breakout of this long term resistance, a retest of the resistance acting as support, and a bull flag on the monthly if things are looking rough in the market. On top of that, you also have this really strong seasonality. So if we break through this resistance, this thing could really take off. And a lot of the time, everybody's watching IWM. So as soon as IWM breaks this high of around 234, everybody is going to take note. Everyone's just kind of waiting for that price action to confirm that small caps are breaking out. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because everybody starts jumping in at the same time and that that exacerbates the whole move. Um, So why am I very bullish on the market? One, SPY QQQ looks strong, but on top of that, IWM which is more of a risk on, risk off, in this case, risk on, uh, it, people are, people are uh, probably not going to uh, be too mad if this breaks out and it's not going to hurt the sentiment of the overall market if we do move to the upside. So we'll just have to play that out. But I mean, Bitcoin's another one. Bitcoin was another reason why I was like, eh, Markets are really breaking down. Bitcoin should definitely be breaking down because there, you have uh, some liquidity issues in the market sometimes. And that flows over to Bitcoin. Um, and uh, Bitcoin's a pretty good gauge. If you look at when Bitcoin had its flash back uh, when we flashed down that one day from like 52K to 41K, that happened like two days uh, after the market topped. And so Bitcoin was actually your signal that there's probably some liquidity issues going on in the market, and we may have a a stronger move to the downside. And now Bitcoin's been leading. uh, And if we can really break all-time highs, I I think Bitcoin is just going to blast off. And you really need to use the uh, FIB extensions because you don't have any price history. We're at all-time highs. You can't look at the previous pivots or the previous highs and create levels you have to use the 1.618, the 2.618 extension. I like to use the 0.618 extension. Some people use other ones um, to each their own. But I'm just taking this measured move from the April high to the July low. And then I'm, I'm finding the extensions as a function of that move. So if we do break out, first target is 87K. Second target would be like 123K. Um, now, that doesn't mean it happens in a week. You know, this could take a year. But that's kind of what i'm seeing as uh as the levels above to watch into the coming uh new year and in months ahead
4: let's do it we got a few minutes left here let's do some questions from the chat someone asked about fuel cell. If you could take a look at fcel fcel
1: yeah this one this one looks really good i mean if you look at the monthly chart this is exactly what you want to see um same thing if we if we measured the volume by price Kind of from this capitulation point, notice that you've got a lot of volume holding here now there is a big fallacy when looking at the volume by price that oh my gosh this this uh, volume bar right here is huge it's got a lot more weight than these here. these are all the same these are all the same weight. the reason why this volume bar looks so much different than these volume bars is because we're on log scale so you know, a 10 uh, a dollar move down here when F Cell was trading at 25 cents was a huge deal. Now this thing moves up a dollar and it's not as big of a deal. So that's why these these volume bars look different. If we turn off log scale, you'll see they all look they're all the same width. So you know, don't don't look too deep into the width. Look at how many bars there are, and that's what you really want to look at. So this is another example of you know, you've got quite a volume shelf here, but it's actually not the point of control. The point of control is way down here at 220. But look at how many volume bars there are. One, two, three, four, five, arguably pretty big volume bars here showing you've got quite a bit of volume aggregating here. And that's exactly kind of what you want to see. Uh, and then on top of that, if we, if we use the trend zone area here, uh, you know, we've already kind of broken out. Uh, this is a pretty strong breakout. And this is just kind of stair stepping. This is the kind of setup you want to see, just stair stepping up and uh, volume supporting those those moves. So yeah, F-cell is looking very strong here.
4: Uh Justin asked what you used uh, before uh, COVID in terms of uh, the the volume profile. And and I, Jake, Jake, you've been using volume profile for years. You only just reference COVID because you have to tie you want to tie it back to a, yeah a, a pivotal point in 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 the chart. That's just yeah. why you tie it, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. You're just. You're just. um, Now, before I kind of had this tool on TrendSpider, I would actually do this manually. So what I would do Mm -hmm. is I'd turn. I'd turn on the volume, and then I'd say, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of volume here at this price level. There's a lot of volume here at this price level, and then I'd start like saying, okay, well, this is the range for this, this big volume bar, and then here's the range for this volume bar. And I kind of start looking at, okay, where are these areas overlapping? Uh, and that's how I would do it before. Uh, so it was, it was a very tedious process. And that's, that's the thing about Trendspire, all of the features that we have on the platform are geared to make the whole process of finding these areas more efficient. So you don't have to do this by hand. So you don't have to go on the chart, look back 10 years and look at every November and see yeah, what it did.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, All a right, a couple more, a couple more uh charge point for Dan, CHPT. CHPT. Yeah. Charge point, right? I'm not sure, sure what this one is.
1: EVN. Yeah, so this is the monthly, uh and the problem is it's the 18th, so we still have time, you know, before the monthly candle's close, but a decent wick here. I'm a big believer in keeping an eye on how things are setting up before a candle closes. That doesn't mean you always have to act on it, but you still have to get an idea of kind of what's what's going on um, within that area. Is there a in this case on the monthly chart, there's a pretty big wick here. So showing that you know you did have quite a bit of uh, you know buying or supply drying up here as this price moved down and the price was able to move back up. So I mean this is kind of just at your previous lows. Uh, it's up what almost a 1% today. but I mean you've got a pretty nice bull flag here. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And that's the thing. I'm not this guy who's like, oh, that, you know, this thing's gotta be, I'm just looking at the general kind of setup here. It's, it's kind of flagging after a lot of people wouldn't call this an exact bull flag, but it doesn't have to be, you just have to look at the price action. Here's your impulse move. Here's your consolidation. And so this would be your area where you want to break out from. It's going to be kind of rough, um, estimate. You do have two wicks that you can connect here. So, there's no wick here because that was the high of the that previous day but you can kind of connect them here and you know that would be the area that you want to break out of if we want to get really technical here you know just connect these two points here and you've actually got more of a uh, pennant forming so that's that's the way i kind of look at this type of thing this looks really strong actually I, i've never even heard of this stock but it does look pretty strong right here
4: couple more, a couple more. And then we'll let Jake run here. Uh, Sovo, S-O-V-O. I This is one I don't know.
1: Sovo. Let me go over uh, one uh, position I'm in right now and kind of go over why I'm in it. Max one we just went over the uh, the IWM um, chart. We're looking at small caps. This is like a $2.3 billion market cap. If mm-hmm. you look at the weekly chart, one, we, we've we got this volume shelf here. You guys will hear me talk about that a lot. Uh, so you've got, if we anchor from the COVID lows, we're measuring volume from there. We've got this recent breakout, or we barely didn't break out. We're kind of retesting this resistance area. So I'm thinking if we just look at the volume weighted average price from this high, this may get to 32.90 to 33 pretty quick if it can if it can move up off this shelf. So I just wanted to go over that one to kind of show you guys like a realistic example of like how I'm looking at the markets and why I'm taking a position, but. This is one that I've, I've been watching for quite a while and it's that lower, it's like a $2.3 billion market cap. So it's not a small cap, but it's within that IWM type of uh, um, market cap. And, and so looking at IWM, then you go into individual names and see what's looking good and, and how can IWM strength help out this setup going into uh, the, the month or two ahead. But all in all, um, that's what I just want to quickly go over on MAXR. What was the
4: ticker that you mentioned? You, you, you do like your flag formations. Um SOVO. SOVO.
1: SOVO. Oh, okay. There's not a lot of data on this one. I, I guess this no, is. I, I don't. I
4: don't know this one. Fortis closure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to do technical analysis on something like this. I mean, the only thing you could do is you could look at you know these previous highs, and we're we're pretty much right there, but. I would go to the 65 minute candle on this to get a little more, you know, idea of what's going on. Doesn't seem like it's a very uh, liquid name based on the volume, but, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe if it breaks these highs, it will, you know, turn on some scanners or something uh, or show up on some scanners.
4: Okay. Last one Lemonade. Lemonade. New kind of insurance. Not that you can't know what the company does. Poof. I remember this thing was like, yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> 180 or something.
4: Yeah. This was yeah. an IPO. Recent IPO. Yeah.
1: All right. See, like here, I would honestly probably turn on like the weekly just to get a little bit of a better idea. Um. Yeah. So if you, you could anchor from, you could measure the volume uh, aggregation from the IPO. If you did that, it'd be here. See, there's quite a bit of volume holding here. Now, Initially, this is going to act as supply uh, because you have quite a bit of volume holding here. So, imagine you bought lemonade at 72 bucks and you just dealt with a drawdown to 61. As the price gets back up to your break even point, you may be uh, a a partial seller or a full seller of your position. That's going to add supply onto the market because that's just, uh, you know, break even selling. Some people are like, eh, just dealt with a. 15% 15% drawdown. I want to get out of this and move on when really that's probably when you should be buying. but this one looks good honestly. the weekly looks good. Uh, you've got these higher lows over the last couple of weeks. Um, so you know that's that's something to keep in mind. And if you look at the monthly there's just not a ton of monthly candles. Um, but you can kind of see that same thing. You've got quite a bit of uh, volume profile here showing, you know, volume is supporting price at this level. Hmm. Now, one more MJ, this is the, the weed ETF may not look great right now, but if you look at the weekly and the daily chart, oh, we're getting really close to a potential oh, breakout. Geez. We're entering kind of a weed season as well, going into the end of the year, into January. crop Yep. So if you if you really go back since here, you'll see that If you have weak seasonality, look at that as maybe the time you want to buy. And then notice how going into January, February, you have pretty high win rate uh, versus kind of how this is done. So I would be looking at some individual weed names here, looking at the MJ chart. This thing likes to just destroy everybody and then, you know, have some massive runs. So very similar to what we had here. Huge sell off. Everybody capitulates and all of a sudden everybody's back in. So keep that one in mind, too.
4: All right, wait, Jake, before we let you go, i got to ask you real fast. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good is Dutch Brothers coffee? I, I can't drink coffee. I'm too high strung. All right. That, <laughs> the, the, you heard it here first. Jake Ujastic <laughs> is the founder of TrendSpotter. Check it out, TrendSpotter.com. Promo code. BZ25, if you guys want to try it out, BZ25. Up there on the screen, guys, right there. Jake, a pleasure as always, sir. Uh, talk to you again get, next Monday. Yes. Same time next Monday. Have a good one. All right. Uh, AB, where'd you go, man? AB, are you here? Are you around? Do you still work here?
3: I'm here, Spencer. I I, I work here as
4: far as I know until they tell me (laughs) otherwise. All right. Uh, How are we doing out there? We got one last guest on the show today. Who do we got?
3: Yeah, we've got our our very good friend of the program, Chris Capri um, from Second Skies Trading. So if you know Chris, you know we're going to get into some uh you know looking at the flow of options so if you have any tickers in the chat that you're looking at trading options on throw them in the chat chris and i will take a look at them um without further ado spencer let's go ahead and bring chris on bring stream on. chris how are we doing this beautiful good. monday
0: very good and yourself
3: good good cannot complain um Real quick, just since we're not on uh, get technical with our usual audience, if you want to give yourself a quick introduction before we get into some charts and some tickers,
0: sure. So I am uh, been trading for twenty one years. I'm a former broker on Wall Street. I've traded for a hedge fund, JNF Hedge Fund. I traded as a, or I was a broker at FXCM, and I started Second Skies in two thousand and seven. Mostly back then because the hedge fund trainees wanted to keep training with me, and it just blew up into this. Big business of having clients in like 160 countries worldwide. So my brief uh, description of how I trade the markets is very straightforward. The most dominant or most proximate driver of the changes that you see on your charts is price is order flow. And so I'm going to share a screen real quick, but uh, just to get that in there. But it doesn't matter if you're a fundamental trader and you trade on fundamental reasons, so you're a technical trader like trend spider and you trade on technical reasons. Here's sentiment trading, trade on sentiment or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. We all have to go through this very narrow corridor called order flow. We have to make a buy and sell decision. And if we don't make a buy and sell decision, it doesn't influence the market at all. If we make a buy and sell decision, it gets activated, then it's actualized order flow. And that's the most proximate driver of price. With that being said, some of the most dominant players in the market in terms of activity, in terms of position sizing and everything are option dealers and market makers. And so with that being said, my whole approach to trading the markets is I trade the order flow. Very simple. I don't look at, you know, Williams percent indicators or anything like that or any of that stuff. I look at order flow and what's going on in the market. And I want to see what's the dominant flow in the market and how also the option players are positioning because that has a major effect where they're heavily active.
3: Got it. Um, it so is. with that said, we do have um, a few big names getting ready to report earnings, which of course yes. earnings season is when a lot of options traders, big. Uh, both big and small, come in and make some big orders. So I think um, let's take this time, Chris, and maybe go through some tickers that have earnings coming up this week. I know one that I've been watching, I actually have an open call on right now, is Netflix. Uh, sure. My thesis there is earlier we were looking at some data from similar web. Who curates kind of like alternative? You know, they they can look at how much or how many people are visiting, you know, the cancellation page for Netflix versus how many people are visiting the sign up page, um, and, and they had some numbers that indi- in, that could indicate a strong report coming tomorrow after market. Um, of course, everyone's been talking about Squid Game, some other big series that have helped propel Netflix to this point. But I'm curious about, you know, all that data aside, what are the what is the option flow looking like?
0: Sure. Let's take a look at Netflix. So, all right. So with that being said, um, I'm bullish medium term, long term on Netflix. It's hard not to be, especially after they broke out of this consolidation. And not only did they break out of this, you know, consolidation that was resistance, but then they came back right to that resistance and said, we're treating that now as support. It was a ceiling. Now it's a floor for the next leg up. And that's a good sign from the order flow perspective that the, not only the sellers are out of the market, but then the buyers are saying, Hey, That level, we respected that level so much that we are now gonna treat it as a base and then they launched it higher from that. So that's what we call a roll reversal level. That's the order flow saying this level is super critical for us, both to the sellers and the buyers. Sellers while I was in this and buyers now that we've broken out. So here's the overall landscape uh, in terms of the flows, open interest and everything. So prior to today, I haven't looked at today's options on Netflix, but I can pull that up. But prior to today, we had about, 240,000 calls on Netflix and 337,000 puts. Now that doesn't mean that people are long puts and long calls. There's a mix of that. I'm willing to bet some of those puts, even though there's more puts in the market, some of that was selling people selling cash secure puts, which is actually bullish for the stock. So if there's a decent chunk of people that are selling cash secure puts, that's bullish. It's bullish because if I sell a hundred cash secure puts, at say like 600, what's the option dealer got to do? You might know the answer. What's the option dealer got to do if I sell that? 100 puts.
3: What is the option dealer have to do if you sell 100 puts? Yes. They, they have to take on that risk or- They're
0: they're long 100 puts, right. which means right. they have downside directional exposure. You're a dealer market maker. You don't want directional exposure. You want to be delta neutral and you want to have, you want to just make money on the spread because that's a risk-free business. So what do they have to do? They have to get long the stock. To offset that position. So I sell 100 cash secure puts. They are long 100 cash secure puts. That means they have directional exposure to the downside and their risk is to the upside. If the market goes up, then those puts decay fast. They lose money in that. So to offset that, they have to get long stock and that helps fuel the stock higher. So I'm willing to bet a good chunk of those are cash secure puts, not people buying protection but cash secure puts, which is helping to fuel the rally on this. Now, with that being said, you're talking only maybe just under 600,000 options out there. And today alone, we've printed another 86,000. So that's actually very high. You have 600,000 total. We have 86,000 today. That's over my 10% threshold. So if the total number of options is you know half a million, and we have 50,000 options on the day, then that means there's a fair amount of eyes looking at the market, particularly in the options market on that stock. With that being said, what do I see in Netflix? I see about 25% of this roughly 550,000, 600,000 options rolling off this Friday. That could create a little bit of a headwind for Netflix. But it's not surprising that you have all these short-dated options expiring because we have earnings coming up And I think according to the Benzinga calendar, let's put that in there. This is the best earnings calendar. Netflix is tomorrow after the close. So I think we're going to see a lot of these options that are expiring start to be monetized probably before earnings or on Wednesday after earnings. It's going to create a lot of volatility Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then you'll probably see Netflix pull back a little bit into the close. What do I think is happening with Netflix in terms of right now? Do I see it as bullish or bearish? I see there's a little bit of a resistance area from an options perspective around 630. But structurally, it looks, yeah. I don't see it breaking this corrective structure here until earnings. I don't see it. And then I see it breaking past that. If the earnings are really good, this thing has scope to probably run about 660 which would be about another 5% on this. So maybe 680 if you get a really gangster number. I would think it's unlikely that we could hit 700. Um, it would just have to be an exceptional number for us to hit 700. So I think you're, if we break this structure, I think your top side resistance is probably right around here. So that would be right around here. And if we're lucky, you can maybe make it to 680, which would be almost a 10% move. Um, if it breaks to the downside, where do I see support 600? I think 600, you're gonna have a strong buying interest. There's a lot of option positioning there. That's 600. It's where this recent launch into the corrective structure, this impulsive move into the corrective structure happened. So there was, and you could see, this is the biggest volume tick of this entire chart since September 20th. So in the last month, the biggest volume day was this day. And that was an impulsive launch off of 600. And since then we haven't gone anywhere. So this favors upside moves, but if it gets back to 600, I'm a, I'm a I'm a very happy buyer at that point because to me 600 would be a cheap price for a nice medium term long-term play without a doubt. So,
3: so I'm going to I'm gonna hijack the screen for a second. I'm gonna make this a little Please. tangible. Um, this is a Netflix call that expires. This Friday, uh, $635 strike price. I actually got into this this morning um, when Netflix was in the red, kind of down here. It was down about half a percent. And kind of my thesis was, hey, look, I think we're going to see some buyers come in before earnings. Uh, and the stock's been strong since I got in this contract. So, again, I got in this this morning. The contract right now is up 21%, up about nice. $323. Um, Chris, I'm not going to ask you, you know, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what to do, but maybe if you were me, you know, would you have the, let's say testicular fortitude to hold on to this call <laughs> through earnings? Or would you ahead, <laughs> yeah. Would you go ahead, maybe hold it to tomorrow to see if it's up tomorrow before earnings and then sell it if it's up again or, um, okay,
0: sure. So let me take a look at the, um, let me see if I can pop this chart on and think or swim. Yeah, we can. Okay. So here we go. This is Thinkorswim's daily chart. And um, this is the IV right now. Implied volatility at 0.35. And the historical is at 0.26. So there's a dislocation. 83 to 85% of the time, IV is more elevated than actual historical. So you know there's a decent dislocation of about nine points. That's about a third. So there's about a 30%, 33% dislocation between IV and historical. So generally you want to be long gamma or just long calls when two things are happening. One, you're bullish, very bullish on the stock and two, that the premium's cheap. So that would mean that, you know, implied volatility and historical, you want them to be as close as possible because normally there's a decent spread between them. And if the IV's higher, then that means the premium or the cost of those calls is more expensive. Um, if the, if they're about even, then that means that the premium is relatively cheap on those particular options or calls. That's the most, uh, that's the most favorable time to be long calls is the market's really bullish and it hasn't really launched yet. And there's a good closeness between Ivy and historical. We do see a little bit of a separation. It's not huge. When I look at the Ivy right now, the October 22nd calls, at the money, the 630s are about 67%. And, you know, the 635s are about the same. So it's not expensive. You paid a little bit of decent premium for this, but nothing crazy. Now, why would this trade... So you got... Let's see here. Can I look at your trade real quick so I can see the details on it?
3: Yep. Um, let's okay. See. So what did
0: you buy? What was the strike? Uh,
3: 635.
0: 635. Okay. So you're basically long, pretty much at the money calls. And how much should you pay for them? You paid
3: I paid fifteen hundred was the cost. Current market value okay. seventeen eighty-five. Okay. Um, so yeah, up about twenty percent right now. But again, I'm okay with holding on to this overnight. And then if the stocks yeah, yeah. up trading up tomorrow into earnings, then I might say. All right, I'm fine with a you know 40 percent gain. I don't need to hold this into op, into earnings and potentially yeah, yeah. you know lose all those profits and, and potentially go into the red on the trade. So um, I, I'm undecided on, on on what to do with this right now.
0: Okay, so there's a couple things in terms of how I play it. One, if I wasn't in this option, and I do think, and let's say I was of the opinion that Netflix is probably going to break out of this corrective structure, and let's say it's going to be a pretty decent rip. Well, right now, at the money calls and puts are priced at about $17, $18 right now. You could potentially get long a straddle and take the volatility on both sides. You would basically need that to move $30 in each, $32 in each direction for that to start to make money. Do I think Netflix has the capacity to do $30? Yeah, but I think beyond that, it starts to stretch. Like it's going to need to be a gangster earnings for this to move you know, 50, 60, $70. The last earnings, if I remember correctly, it didn't really have a big move. This one, good earnings, and it fell to the downside. So we haven't had an earnings post this corrective structure, and that's going to obviously have an effect upon it. I think here's what I'm thinking right now. If I'm on calls like you, if I get to the top of this 639, say today, I would probably be interested in closing that because why? You're going to lose about two thirty-six in premium just by holding it overnight. So you have to think about it right now. You're up about two dollars, two and a half, but if the market stays exactly where it is, just the theta decay, you're now at break even tomorrow, which means you need to again gain even more for that to become valuable and make money again. So I think if Netflix can rip to 637, 638, 639, I personally would be closing that out. You're saying this earnings? Yeah, before the market closes. Otherwise, you're going to eat roughly 234 in theta decay.
3: And then I'm banking on Netflix needing to be up 2% or something tomorrow to make
0: up for that theta decay. Yeah, so they are, if I remember, they are after close. So Correct. you would have to hold... Then just to get the earnings boost, you would have to hold through earnings to get that earnings boost. And again, tomorrow you're going to eat another 250 probably in theta decay, and then you have to close it out on Wednesday. So if you hold through earnings, you're going to eat about five dollars in theta decay. And right now, if it doesn't move anywhere, that's going to put you in the negative. So there's a risk on this. You've already made two 250 on it. I would say if you can. If you, don't, if you don't have an immense amount of confidence that this is going to rip higher, then I would just close it out as you get to the upper end of this range here.
3: The only if other you- problem that I've, I've failed to mention is that I, I, do, I don't have enough money in my account to you know surpass the pattern day trader r- rules or whatever. Right. Um, so, if I close this position that I open today, I, I think I'll be marked as a pattern day trader on Robinhood and be restricted for a while. But maybe it'd be worth doing so I don't potentially lose this whole seventeen hundred dollars. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. That's the tricky thing about it. So that puts in a totally new calculus because that's something I didn't think of before. Um, <laughs>
3: I know that's, that's a whole nother factor that sh- shouldn't be in play, but it, it. I actually, I, I, I can do it. I. You have like I think four or five day trades you're allowed to make in like a 10 day period, which I wouldn't, I, this will not put me at the cap. It will just restrict me from making another day trade in the next 60 days or so, which is fine. I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. I don't, I, I, typically, I typically don't day trade, so it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you typically don't day trade, it's not as much of an issue. You'd have to make the calculus at this point, which is okay. If I am restricted for 60 days, would the gains that I make from taking this trade and closing it out, which is what two two fifty credit or whatever it is, would that be offset by potential future trades I cannot take because of the day trading restriction? That's the calculus you have to really make. So if you could, in the next, you know, whatever few months, he's like going to close it right now. So (laughs) he's like closing it right in front of us. So yeah. I mean, if, if you don't feel like it's going to make that much of a difference and you're not really day trading a whole lot, then I don't see it as an issue. No,
3: I, I put a crazy, uh, like ask in there to see like when I submit to close it, if it's going to tell me, uh, you know, Ah, clever idea, you know, what the, Oh, no, it didn't even tell me anything. All right, so maybe I'm not. Let's see. I know I did something. Where's my Robin Hood? I don't know. Okay. We removed. So earlier they had me as a pattern day trader, and I asked them to remove it, and they did, but they said they'll only do this one time. So who knows? Either way, the end goal is to try to get over that $25,000 mark so that I can um, day trade without having to worry about that. But I'm going to go ahead and... Well, honestly, if that feels you gotta crazy. talk to your
0: boss Steve to give you a raise.
3: Yeah, we'll see.
0: <laughs> say hey, I need a raise because I gotta get over the pattern of the PDT rule. Need some help, buddy.
3: Um, so Chris, we do only have a few minutes left, so I, I want to know what else you're looking at in terms of option flow. I see Peabody up there, a firm. Um, snap. ADPS, oh, Snap. Yeah, Snap reports. It was snap,
0: and we'll do IWM. So I actually early, I think it was on Friday, I sold the seventy-eight eighty-one a bear call spread, which means that I was expecting this to not break above 78 and I'm expecting it to fade. And the reason being on that is, is that snap, uh, last week had a bullet of options rolling off and this weekend or this Friday, they have another 22% of the options rolling off. And so I look at it as like, yeah, I don't see snap getting over this hurdle and it started the week very favorable. So last week tried to close below it, opens, sells off big time, And you see there's a lot of volume there. That's a lot of people taking profit. That's a lot of people selling. That's a lot of people caught in that false break. The the biggest volume spike so far has been the false break above 78. So we sold that on Friday so we could capture Friday, Saturday, Sunday, theta decay. And then now we have it on Monday. And Snap has earnings according to your calendar on Thursday. Um, I think it is after market. So right before the market closes on Thursday, We'll just close it out and capture, you know, 90 plus percent of the profit. I'm bearish on Snap. If Snap correctively, if you're not already in Snap, if Snap correctively, you know, chops up and gets up to seventy-seven, seventy-eight, I would, I would consider a sell order in that. I think that's a pretty decent sell order. You could even sell another bear call spread. You'd want to be out before options. Meanwhile, I like a buy on Snap between 71 and a half and 69.9. I think Snap is a great buy at that price. So that's, what I'm looking at snap IWMs. I don't think we're going to break out of the corrective structure this week. I don't see it from an options positioning. We're only mildly negative gamma. It's not like a huge amount of negative gamma. So for those of you who don't know, negative gamma refers to the net options positioning. And if the market is more net short options, then they are long options. It's net short. That's negative gamma. If the market is net long options, that's positive gamma. And that matters because statistically, when we're in positive gamma environments, there's less volatility, more mean reversion. When we're in more negative gamma environments, there's more volatility in both directions. That's what was happening with SPY and SPX. Once we got to here, we shifted into negative gamma. And look at the moves in Spies. you know, kind of tame, kind of weak. We hit negative gamma, boom, big volatility, big volatility. So as I've been telling my members for weeks now, we got negative gamma environment SPX. As long as we're below 440 or 4,400 in SPX, we're bearish. Once we got above that, it's been bullish since. So that's kind of with going back to IWM, it's only a mild amount of negative gamma. So the volatility isn't the structure of the order flow. The architecture of the order flow is not there for big pushes unless we get a new catalyst. So I think IB stays inside this 232, 233 resistance and 210, 218 support. For at least the rest of this week. So I wouldn't bet on the breakout this week. Um, And one other thing I like to mention, you know, about the power of options. So this is the COVID when the COVID crash started. What do you guys notice about this date? This is a weekly candle. February 18th. Does anything come to mind in terms of options there? How about you, AB? Can you think of anything?
3: Um, February 18th of 20. I mean, is that just a big date that options uh, roll off on?
0: That was the third week. It was the monthly OPEX in February. Okay. And so a lot of positions had unwound a lot of long positions and it took away the floor of the markets. Now look at where this week was the 16th It ended on the 22nd, 23rd or whatever it was. This was the bottom. What was this? The end of that Friday was the monthly OPEX for March. And there was, it was well known that BlackRock had a large put position in the market and they close it out after this week and go figure the market starts to rally. This is the power of options. When you start to look at some of the biggest sell-offs and the biggest buy-ups of these rallies, they're happening around inflection points for option expiries. Monthly OPEX for February, monthly OPEX for March. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's I think it's actually highly explainable that options were in changing of option position is huge. Now, if you want to go back to SPY real quick, Spy was in negative gamutory once he negative gamut territory. Once he started getting to get into here, you see the volatility picks up. What were the most common options that people were buying during this period? Puts. And so, what happens towards the, the monthly opx as we start to get towards Friday? Those put decays were you know put decay is stronger than call decay. Put decay started to increase. People monetizing those puts, getting out of those puts. And how do we end the week? A strong rally because all those puts are being monetized and decayed. So we get a strong rally in the market. That's really one of the major catalysts. You had the infrastructure, which helped that kind of like took the risk out of the markets. And then once they felt like the all clear is let's get rid of all these puts, put decay is out, creates a nice rally in equities. And now we've kind of cleared the first hurdle. And to me, that signs, you know, that shows signs of bullishness right now. We shifted into positive gamma territory at to close last week. So that's kind of what I think is what's happening in the markets right now. And don't underestimate the power of options. They they signify a lot in terms of flows.
3: Got it. It's real quick going back to Snap. You you said you were bullish in the in the short term and medium term, or
0: no, I'm short term bearish right now. And okay. We, and so we sold the bear call spread at 7881. So we sold these calls here and we bought these calls here. That's a bearish play. Selling a bear call spread is a bearish play. It means that the premium was good. It was right at the price when we sold it. Actually, we sold it here, which was Friday. And we felt like, hey, Snap may get up to seventy nine eighty, but it's not going to crack 81. And we believe that Snap is going to, with all these options rolling off this Friday, that Monday, we would see a pullback in Snap. That's exactly what's happened so far. Snap dropped, what, $6 within the first three hours of trading. I don't think that's a coincidence. The option board was cleared, a huge amount of options off the board that took out the fuel of the market. It pulls back. So short term, I am bearish on Snap till earnings. After that, anybody's guess. But if Snap gets down to 72, 7170, I think it's a great buy at that point. I think it's an excellent buy. I will yeah, I will personally get along at that point.
3: We see uh, Rich Kaiser in the chat saying a different way to look at the market. I like it. Uh, I think it's very... You know, a lot of traders do not take the time to kind of go into this data, into the option flow, into the market structure. But um, as you said, Chris, it's, it's one of the best ways to look at the market, to, uh, you know, have a good sense of where things are going. So uh, thank you for coming on today. We will be back next Monday, although, you know, I, I will follow up with you and we'll, we'll figure out, you know, a good uh, way to have you on uh, moving forward sure. as we're not doing get technical on Mondays as of right now. Um, but thank you again, Chris, for coming on. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link to second skies trading in the chat again. Um, so if you have not checked that out, please go do so.
0: Appreciate it. Good seeing you. And I will see you all next week.
3: Beautiful. All right, Chris, have a good one. Hey, I'm back. What is up, Spencer? How are we doing?
4: Good. Uh, we got to hop off because Mooner Bus is going live right now. I would love to get some feedback from the chat on what they had thought of this. We're thinking of extending the middle of the day show, maybe even as early as 11 a.m. To, to 2 and doing just one long three-hour stream. Let us know what you think in the chat. You like it, you hate it, or well, whatever. Um, but thanks, for, thanks to Chris. Thanks to Jake. Thanks to Matt. Uh, thanks to everyone who, who came on the show today. Um, I, I forgot about Ed. Thanks to Ed. Ed. Um, and before we go, we just want to do a quick check at the heat map again. How are we doing? Looks about the same as it did a couple hours ago. Nothing's really yeah, changed. I mean,
3: look, at, look at Dogecoin up more than 7%, outperforming a lot of those other altcoins. Dogecoin's coins.
4: gone down, though. Dogecoin's gone down. Yeah, I awesome. know.
3: It hasn't been doing well, but I'm saying in the last 24 hours, up more than 7%. Compare that to Solana, yeah. uh, you know, Litecoin, Cardano, yeah. all these other... Altcoins is actually you know, showing a little bit of strength, so who yeah. knows?
4: They're going to talk way more about this on Moon or Bust. Coming up next, we're talking about the Bitcoin ETF. As a reminder, you can get Bitcoin, $50 of Bitcoin for free. All you have to do is download the Voyager app. Fund your account with $100 use the offer code ZING and make your first trade, and they will give you $50 in Bitcoin for free. F-R-E-E, that spells free. Smash that like button for us, please, and thank you. How many likes we at? Not enough is the answer. We're at 100-some-odd. Not even 100? Oh, my gosh. Get us to 100 people, please. The Moon Bus guys are going to be very angry. No, they won't know.
3: All right. Well, without further ado, Spence, let's go ahead and get over to Moon or Bust. This stream will automatically redirect you, so you do not need to go anywhere. Um, Spencer, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. That's
4: the plan.
6: Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right.